0: Jeremy, come on, bud. Praise God. Thanks, Pastor. All right. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus loves you. He's got your back. The Lord's protection is upon His people. Psalm 91 is true. God for the Bible, and we are in the book of First Peter, chapter two. Praise God, Father. We want to thank you for your Word tonight. We want to thank you, Lord, for the preservation of the Scriptures, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord, for the care. And uh, the faithfulness, Lord, that you have shown, Lord, to us by keeping this book, by letting us have it, Lord, by raising up faithful men and women, Lord, that have given their lives, Lord, to, to write it, to preserve it, and to hand it down to us, Lord, from generation to generation. Well, we don't count, Lord, it lightly what we hold in our hands. Lord, the great price that has been paid, Lord, for such a holy book. So, Lord, as we open your word tonight, God, enlighten our hearts, Lord. Graft us in even stronger, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that are held in this book, God. And we receive them in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Reading out of chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writing to the church scattered abroad. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, and all hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also, it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded, And unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Praise God. So Peter starts off this chapter with a wherefore. As we've said, when you see a wherefore or therefore, find out what it's there for. So the, lab, the previous four verses talked about us being born again, that we're born again with a seed that is incorruptible. And the seed is the word of God. It's the same incorruptible word of God. It's the same seed all right, when Je- when Jesus, when the when the angel of the Lord said, behold, the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and you shall be formed, which you shall be. You know, you will have a child. All right there. And she believed on the Lord. All right. And it, she she pondered and she put it away. And there was something planted in her heart, in her in, something planted in her, an incorruptible seed. All right, the very word of God. Jesus, the Bible says, he is the Logos, all right? He is the word of God. And that same word, all right, that is planted in our hearts is what makes us born again, all right? It's what makes us born again and the spirit of Christ dwelleth in us, Paul says, in his gospel. Now, there was another wherefore in the previous chapter, And it said, the prophets have spoken these things. They've been written down from generation to generation. Even the angels look into these things to see, you know, what is happening. And then because we have such a a cloud of great witnesses that have gone before us, wherefore, we should gird up our loins and be sober. We shouldn't live carousing in the world like we see. And so the next wherefore that Peter's talking about, because we've been born again by an incorruptible seed, we should lay aside malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. All right? Because we have an incorruptible seed, because we were born again, we shouldn't be, have malice. Now, that word malice, a good definition for that is to desire to cause harm. A vengeful spirit. When somebody does something to you, you're like, I want to get back at them. You know, well, I'll get, they'll get theirs. You know, that's, that's malice. You know, you're wanting to harm somebody. Um, another word there he uses is guile. The word guile there is Speaks of, speaks of deception, um, you know, trying to pull the wool over people's eyes to get an advantage on them, all right? When I think of the word guile there, remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira, they were having a great move of God in the early church, and a lot of people were selling their houses and bringing the money to the church, and they were distributing it to those that had need. Well, when they sold their house, they kept some back, but then brought some to the church and pretended as if what they brought was everything. You see, so they had guile in them because they were trying to deceive the apostles to thinking that they were, you know, and Peter said, hey, nobody told you you had to sell your house and bring the money here. But because you've tried, you've lied to the Holy Ghost, you've tried to act like you sold and brought all, but you've really kept part of it. Well, you know, they had a funeral. They had a funeral. And I like to say this, you know, and this is why we've got people need to take account for their own shortcomings, downfalls and sin. So many times we try to blame other people, we try to blame the devil, we try to blame the spirit. Oh, that's the spirit of this, that's the spirit of this. My question is this, if Ananias and Sapphira, if when they lied to Peter and Paul, how come they had, didn't have a deliverance service, but they had a funeral, all right? If they needed to be delivered from a spirit of lying, Peter should have had an exorcism, but he didn't, they had a funeral. They didn't have a deliverance service, they had a funeral service, amen? And so, you know, lying is a work of the flesh. It's something that, you know, that is a sin that men and women need to take account for. For far too long, people are trying to blame the things that they're struggling with on other things instead of just saying, I'm a sinner. You know, we said this last week, the world wants to deny the depravity of men. It's an old doctrine in the church. The world wants to say that I'm actually a good person. No, the Bible is very clear. We are not good. No good thing dwells in me. The only good thing that is in me is Christ. Amen? You take Christ out of my life, I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched, wicked man apart from Christ. And men and women need to get to grips with that. And when they do, Christ is the solution, amen? Amen. That was the whole purpose of the law, to show man that he couldn't keep it. So he would cry out, oh God, help me, I'm right here. So, put away these hypocrisies, put away trying to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Put away envy, put away jealousy. You know, not be jealous of one another. You know, everybody's got their own purpose. They got their own things, their own life. And also put away evil speaking. All right. And I like to think of this as swearing or cursing. All right. You know, cursing is, you know, the, the, a Christian should not use curse words. Right. You know, now I don't really know. You know, there's not a list of curse words in the Bible. Okay, there's not like a list in Leviticus of all the different words that we shouldn't say. I don't really know how we came up with this list. We all know what they are, but we've just grown up all our lives with, that's a bad word, okay? So society has placed the curse on the words, all right? And if society has placed the curse on the words... God doesn't want us to use words that curse. God wants the church to use words that bless. Amen? Amen. Amen. He wants blessing to come out of our mouth, not cursing. So if the world says this is a curse word, then my desire to abstain from that is the fact that I don't want cursing in my mouth. I want blessing in my mouth, praise God. So, Therefore, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by. You know, we all know that have had children, the first thing that that baby has is milk. All right? You don't sit there and try to, you know, cut a piece of ribeye, you know, and give it to the baby. They have milk. All right? And... It's sincere milk, and I remember when my wife used to explain this to me, there's, there's different types of milk that the baby has during the pregnancy. And, you know, once the baby develops more, they get a different kind, you know, more protein is in that milk, and they can handle it. Um, but the point here being is, is that the first thing that every Christian, this is how you tell whether someone's really born again, is because they actually desire the Word. Like a baby desires milk. If you don't give that baby milk, it's going to cry till the, I mean, it's going to drive you nuts. The newborn Christian, or in all Christians, they should desire the Bible. It's a byproduct of being born again. Being born again, the byproduct is, is that you want to study the word. You want to be in the scriptures as sincere milk. All right. And it says that you may grow thereby. This is the thing we all a lot of you know this. This is the thing that grows a person. You heard me say last last couple weeks ago, good works are great. But good works for the church don't grow the individual Christian. The word of God is what grows the Christian. The good works are for service. The good works are actually for a witness to God, a witness to people that God is good. Like when they served in here tonight, everybody that was gracious enough to serve the public tonight, they were witnessing that God loves them, all right? So what they did was a witness, but what grows the individual Christian is the word of God. Now he says, verse 4 to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So here is another image that Peter begins to tell us or paint of Jesus Christ. He was the living stone, he was disallowed indeed of men. So, men, remember what. Uh, John tells us about Jesus. It says, he came into the world. He came into his own, and his own knew him not. All right? Let's go there for a minute. John chapter 1. Keep your finger in Peter real quick.
1: John chapter 1. And uh, I'll tell you what verse here.
0: I turn to these scriptures so that you guys can know where they're at. You can write in your Bibles and mark them and all that stuff. Um,
1: Let's see. There we go. Um,
0: Verse 6 is a good place to start. John 1, chapter 1, verse 6. Say amen when you're there. It says, now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 9, and that was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So he created the world. The world didn't receive him. He even came to his own tribe, his own people, the Jewish people, and they rejected him. Now there's a story when they were building Solomon's temple, that down in the rock quarry, when they were cutting the stone, that they had sent up the cornerstone, the very first stone. But when the builders looked at the stone, they rejected the stone, thinking it was the wrong stone. And they asked for the cornerstone. Where's the, where's the stone? They sent messengers back to the quarry, to the rock quarry. And they said, we sent it up to you already. And see, they rejected the stone because they did not believe that that was the stone that had its purpose. And that's what Jesus, when he came, they looked at Jesus riding on a donkey and said, this isn't the one that's going to restore the kingdom. You see, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. Always remember that. Man always seems to judge by the outward appearance, but totally misses what God's doing in someone's heart. And so it says in verse five, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. So look at that comparison there then. So Jesus is the living stone. The living stone, and we are lively stones, all right? He's the cornerstone, and then off of that cornerstone, if you go to England and you go travel through the lake districts and places like that, you'll see them great stone buildings, them stone cottages. In every one of those stone cottages, you can see the cornerstone. It's the biggest stone. It's like a big block. And every other stone makes its line off that cornerstone. And that is like, that's the foundation stone. From that one stone, everything else is built up. And so Peter here, he's painting a picture that each and every one of us here, we're a stone that is stacked one upon another, lined up with the foundation stone. And if they rejected Jesus... As the chief cornerstone, don't you think they will reject us? Is the, is, the, is the servants any greater than the master? Okay? And so the point being here is, is that we, if they rejected the chief cornerstone, I mean, how could you reject this great stone that came and was laid at you? How could you say, well, that ain't the cornerstone. Well, yeah, it is. Just look at it. I mean, just look at Jesus when John the Baptist said, Lord, is it really you or shall we look for another? And he said, go tell John the blind see the lame. Of course, it's me. Can't you see it's me? Yeah, amen. Of course, it's me. But men in their hearts, blinded by the things of this world, reject the living stone and they will reject us as well. But he says here in verse five, we are lively stones built up like a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So this is the spiritual house. People say, well, you know, the church, you know, it's not brick and mortar. No, it's not brick and mortar. Church isn't about a building. Church is about us being together. But it's nice to be together and not have rain on our heads. You know what I mean? Now we could we we could manage that if it happened. But it's a convenience. So don't you know? When people say, "Ah, uh, I don't need to go to church. Church is just a building." No, church is a building, but we are the church, and we come together as lively stones, building up a spiritual house. And this building's a convenience. To keep us warm or dry, cool, you know, those kind of things. So, you know, when people talk like that, they're just looking for excuses. But we are a spiritual house. That's the main thing. And I like what he says in verse 9. Look at this. It says in verse 9 of the same chapter, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, so we've established here that Jesus is the living stone and there are different things that this stone will do and that we've seen in scripture. Um, We have the picture of the smiting rock in exodus remember that story where moses was to smite the rock and out of the rock living water came amen you know christ our rock he was struck that living water may flow into us speaking of the spirit had christ not died we could not receive the spirit amen so christ the rock was a picture there in the in the in the rocket exodus When it was struck, the water came out. Um, We see that the church, he is the rock or he is the foundation stone to the church, which we've already talked about. Um, To the Jews, he was a stumbling stone. He was a rock of offense, it is called. But to Israel at his second coming, he will be The headstone or the corner or the capstone, Zechariah chapter 4 tells us, all right? And to the Gentile world, we saw in Daniel, in his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, there was a rock that was carved without hands, all right? And it, in the vision, it struck down what represented all the Gentile world empires, That we're going to be raised up in human history. So at the end of civilization, the rock, Jesus, will come down from heaven and smite the the empires of the world, all right? And when they are scattered, the Bible talks about how that stone that struck the Gentile powers, it will turn into a great holy mountain that will fill the earth, amen? And so, Jesus Christ, many pictures of that living stone. The other thing he talks about here is he's talking about the priesthood. He calls us a, verse 9 says, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Amen? I love that. We're a peculiar people. If you get funny looks on the street when people see that big Jesus smile of yours and you, you tell them that Jesus loves you, and they frown at you, they look at you like you're nuts, that's okay. Because we're peculiar, amen? We're peculiar, praise God. So, if I was to look up in my 1828 dictionary, the word peculiar, I'll read it out to you. It says this. And if you don't have one of these, I recommend you to get one. 1828, Noah Webster's Dictionary. That's, um, you can't hardly... Trust what they put in the dictionaries today because how many know men like to change words? Men like to change words. Men like to change history too, don't they? Can't we see that going on in society today? People are trying to change our history. All right, so peculiar. The definition there is appropriate. Belonging to a person and to him only. Almost every writer has a peculiar style. It is singular. It is particular. And it is special. Praise God. So when he says we are peculiar, it means we belong to just one. To one certain person. Amen. The Lord Jesus. And he says here that we are a royal priesthood. Now, if we dwell on this thing about being a, a, a royal priest, um, you know, the chief privilege of the priest, when you study the Old Testament, you look what the high priest did. And it's amazing how the book of 1 Peter and Hebrew, they like, are like go hand in hand with each other. And Hebrews has a great, in chapter 10, has a, a, a lovely uh, depiction of the Old Testament and the priest's work and everything like that. And we may turn there here in a minute. But the first thing we need to understand about a priest, what, a, what is the chief privilege that a priest has is they have access to God. Amen? They have access to God. As a matter of fact, let's go there right now. Hebrews chapter 10.
1: And um, let's start at um, Hebrews chapter 10. And... And I'm looking at... um,
0: Let's start at verse 1 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. It says here, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. All right? So what's he saying there? Everything that the law said that they were to do, they were just a type shadow or they were symbolic or they were a sample. All right. And they are not the very image of the things. I love that the way he phrased that. They're not the very image. As a matter of fact, Moses was told that the things that he was ordered to construct were patterns of the things that were in heaven. Amen. They they were there. And look at this. It says, they can never with those sacrifices make somebody perfect. The sacrifices of blood and go- of goats and bulls, the blood of goats and bulls will not make a person perfect before God. I don't really know why they're, you know, they're, they're working hard right now over in Israel to try to institute this whole system again. Why? Because they do not believe That Jesus Christ and his blood was the ultimate sacrifice. They don't believe Hebrews 10, but Hebrews 10 was written for them. Look what it says. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Question mark. If the blood of bulls took away a person's sin, how come he had to keep coming back? Why? Because there was still guilt there in his mind. Verse 3, but those sacrifices there is a remembrance, again, made of sin every year. Look at verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It's not possible. All right? Verse 5, wherefore, when he comes into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Whose body? The Lord's body, Christ's body, all right? That's what he said in that Psalm. He wasn't, God all along had, you know, from the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ was crucified, amen? All along, God had prepared a body that he would give as a sacrifice. And then, verse seven says, Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. But then he followed and said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. That means he takes away the first that he may establish the second. So that's what... The Messiah in the Messianic Psalms was saying, he was saying, the Lord doesn't require bulls and goats. He requires me to give my life for sin, to take away sin. And what he's saying, when Jesus said that, he was nullifying the old covenant and establishing the new Now look at verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which will never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. How long did he sit down on the right hand? Sat down forever. And from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool praise God and they will the enemies of God will be made his footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified everybody say one offering one offering offering. you're perfected by that one offering and what that should do to the Christian believers mind is cleanse your mind of guilt you should never be walking around with your head down. Do we sin? Yes, but we have a mediator for that sin. And what we do to get our head back up is we acknowledge, hey, it's not, it's not my good works. It wasn't me trying, it wasn't me living holy that got me born again, and it isn't me living holy that's gonna keep me born again. All right? I'm gonna live holy because I wanna do his will and I wanna serve him. Okay, but when we fall, we remember it's not works, it's not the blood of goats or bulls, it's the blood of his son. And God always looks at the blood of his son, amen? amen. And because of that, we should have a clear conscience. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and into their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I what? Remember no no more. You know who likes to remember sin and iniquity? The devil, he's the one that likes to try to remind you about your sin and iniquity. But you know who never reminds you about your sin and iniquity? God never reminds you of these things. You know, man likes to remind people too. Man likes to say, oh, well, yeah, I know everything's good, but you know, you remember, you remember now, you know, and another thing I can't stand is my little soapbox for church here is I can't stand it when a born-again believer gets saved. And they're full of the joy. I mean, they're full of the Spirit. They're so glad. They're forgiven. And they're just and totally, you know, loving God full of the joy of the Lord. And then some cranky old Christian will come up and say, now, you know, brother, as soon as you leave here now, the devil's going to come after you. And, you know, and you got to watch out because, you know, you're going to sin, you're going to fall. And they start trying to speak all this negative stuff over the brand new babe in Christ. And you know what? That should not be happening. The best thing to do is take that new believer and say, hey, I want you to know when you get out of here... That God remembers your sin no more. That you're a brand new creature. Look at verse 18. Now where remission of this these is, there is no more offering for sin. All right, now that's little, little, little King Jamie there. Remember remission, all right? Remission is the word for removal or taking away, all right? So what he's saying is, If the sin has been taken away, why is there now a need for more offerings? There isn't. Because it's been taken away. There is no need. There is no need for, you know, anything else. So look at this. Having therefore, brethren, because of verse 17 and 18, have therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. So what Hebrews is saying here is, man, come to Jesus boldly. So the number, the first thing that the believer has is they have access to God. As a priest, we, our chief privilege is is to meet with God. Amen? And because our chief privilege is to meet with God, and it's such a wonderful privilege, and and the access, the, the way of the access has been great, the price for that access, that VIP pass to the throne room of God was an expensive one, amen? amen. And, and in the end of that whole, what we've just read there, that's where we get our verse. Let us consider one another, provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so that's the scripture that we always turn to when we're, we're mad at people for not coming to church. Okay? That's kind of that's what we always quote that scripture to say, hey, man, you need to come to church. But look at the context of what that's actually written in. It's written in the context of us being at having the privilege and the access to boldly come into the spiritual house and meet with God. We are the lively stones that make up the spiritual house. Amen. And because we have such incredible privilege, why forsake it? Amen. It's ridiculous to forsake such a thing. Now, the other thing that a priest has that they, that, um, so remember they have the greatest, um, the chief privilege is that we have access to God. So a priest is also in charge of sacrifice, all right? And we know that the Old Testament believers sacrificed, but we just saw that there's no need to sacrifice animals anymore. But remember, it's a spiritual house that we're in now. We're lively stones, but we, ought, we have spiritual sacrifices, all right? I wanna talk about those for a minute. The first sacrifice the the spiritual sacrifice that we give to the Lord, it's our own body. We know Romans 12, 1. All right, let's move there for a second. Romans 12, 1. So the first sacrifice that the Christian priesthood gives to the Lord is their body. Romans 12. Say amen when you're there. All right, so look at Romans 12, 1, a very familiar verse that everybody knows. Some people may know it, some may not in the room here, but Romans 12, 1 says this. Now, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is what? It's your reasonable service. It's just, it's reasonable you know, there should be no argument about it. It's the, it's really when I, it's the least you can do is what, when I read that. Present your bodies in living sacrifice. All right. So the first thing, sacrifice we give to the Lord is our own bodies. All right. All right. Next one. The next one is praise to God. You know, when we came in here tonight, singing unto the Lord is a sacrifice. Now, let me just say something here for a minute. When I grew up, sometimes people used to think that the praise and worship team was to warm the room up for the preacher. That it was just kind of, let's warm the room up. Let's give some people something to do until the preacher comes out. And that's, that's not right all right but on the other hand the element of that also is so that's one extreme the other extreme is is to say well that music's just not good enough for me to to sing to
1: that's not good enough
0: Whoa, they sing that song so many times I can't take it anymore Listen, the song is not there as like, when, we, when the songs are being sang, they're not being sang to any, because they're new. They're there as a tool for you to sacrifice. And I have found in my own life, a lot of times when I'm kind of being critical and judgy on the back wall about who's doing what, when I get off that back wall and I come stand to the front, and I lift my hands and I praise the Lord even if I heard how great is our God for the 10,000th time in my life. I lift, you lift your hands and you sing how great is our God, 10,000, number one. Because it is a sacrifice. And sometimes it is a sacrifice. Sometimes you don't feel like standing Sometimes you don't feel like lifting your hands. Sometimes you don't feel like singing. That's on purpose. Because then that's where the sacrifice comes. Because you say, Lord, I don't feel like it, but I'm here. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to sing. And I'm going to sacrifice because it also is my reasonable service. Okay? Not only is it, it's our job as a priest of God. To sacrifice to sing praises amen yeah. it is what our job is so if you look at um look at hebrews 13 15 i might as well if you got bible markers just keep them in hebrews because i mean like i say that that's that book's going to get worn out tonight all right hebrews 13 15 hebrews 13 15 look what that says By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our what? Lips. Lips. What's that mean? That means the words that come out of your mouth, the sound. People say, oh, you know, I can just praise Lord. That's not praising God. I tell my sister-in-law all the time, she says, I'm praying, and we'll sit there and pray, and she'll go. I'll say, you're not praying. Yeah, I am. I'm praying in my head. No, God knows what your thoughts are, but God hears your words. And when you pray to God, you need to speak, amen? And when we praise the Lord, we need to sing, amen? And you might say, well, man, I'm not a very good singer. That doesn't bother God. It may bother your neighbor, but it doesn't bother God. And you're not here for your neighbor anyway. That's right. God gave you your voice yep. you, for you to use it. And, you, and let me tell you something. If you study music and, the, uh, and, and choirs, the fact that that person sounds a little pitchy over here compared to this person, boy, when you put it all together, it sounds amazing. All right? It's called Synthesis. It's where we get the word synthesizer from, where they take one sound, they take the same sound, and they just pitch up that sound a little bit, pitch up the next sound, pitch up the next, and it sounds big, fat, and full, and it's a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. So, and you know, another word, another name for it is timber. I'll get to you in a minute, brother. Another, another word is timber. When we're all singing and somebody in here is holding their voice and they won't sing, you're robbing God of a particular timber that he wants to hear. You're robbing God of a certain element that is going to come into that song. Amen. So we have to all give the fruit of our lips, which is our words, not our not our hums. Amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sing the words. That's why these guys work hard up here to provide a place, get the words up on the screen, running the sound, playing the instruments, to give you a platform to sacrifice. Amen? Yeah. To sacrifice. And let me tell you, when everybody in the room is doing that, that's when we feel the glory, man. Yeah. Yeah. You feel the glory. When everybody starts doing that, you real feel the glory. You know, But when people are talking over in the corner and I'm having to wait 15 minutes to start the service because everybody's getting to know each other, there's nothing wrong with being happy to see one another. But you get up here and you try to start opening up a worship service and sing over the top of some of you all talking out there. For one thing, I can't do it because I feel like I'm disrespecting God. I can't like start, I worship you, God, and I'm so distracted by everybody talking out there. And also, I think it's kind of it's like when you're singing praises to God, like everybody's worshiping God, and then you've got a couple of people over here, and they're having a conversation with each other. That's, that picture is not right, okay? And I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings out there tonight if you do that, but you need to stop doing it, all right? We you know we get plenty of time to talk around here. When the band's ready to worship, everybody should just find their seat, And just start sacrificing. Amen. Praise God. Now. And I didn't even plan to say that tonight. So it's the fruit of our lips. All right. That make mention of his name. So we're called to sacrifice. And then there's one more thing that the Christian believer can do. All right. Is they can sacrifice their substance. And turn with me over to. Um. Well, we could stay right there. We're in Hebrews. Look at this. Same, same, same verse 16 of chapter 13. Are you there, honey? Still there? All right. So that first verse talked about the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And look at verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So that word communicate there means to share what you have with others. To share what you have with others. And I'll tell you, I commend this church. Christian Life Center, man, is, they do verse 16 really, really good. A good spirit of generosity dwells in this place. And, um, and it's a, it's, it, look at that. It says, God is well pleased, all right, with such sacrifices. So those are the three things that we can sacrifice to the Lord as priests we can sacrifice our body, we can sacrifice um, the praise of our lips, and we can sacrifice with our substance and our giving. And so the third phase of the priest is what I was called the intercessor. The priests make intercession. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1
1: Timothy 2, verse 1. This is Paul speaking to
0: Timothy In First Timothy chapter two verse one, he says, "I exhort, therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and the giving of thanks be made for all men." All right? So another chief privilege of the Christian priesthood is this thing of intercession. And, you know, intercession, I got a little note here. Intercession is not a gift. It is a command. But the reason why they are gifts is because few choose to do so. You know, I've always found that intercession and Sunday school are probably the least volunteered for. Intercession is something that everybody is called to do. But there are those that take it seriously and they do it. And we've got wonderful, wonderful ones in the church here. But Paul is exhorting Timothy that we are all to do such things. And so, you know, you, if you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the word of knowledge, the gift of miracles, you will not find the gift of intercession. Okay. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. It is, but it is a commandment that God calls us to do. Now we hear this a lot. People say, "I have the gift of intercession." I'm not doubting you, but what I would say is is you actually have you're a precious gift to the body because you take seriously the command to intercede. Amen. And so there's I think there's a there's a difference there. And so But we are called to intercede. We're called to be intercessors. And this church is the better off for it. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor.